0: hey everyone it's yas here and i'm calling today with a little favor to ask over the recent weeks and months i've had loads of you get in touch with some great questions and today i'm going to be trying something new with the show i'm trialing a q a segment where i'll be joined by co-host and elite coach educator gerard jones now these are discussions which are going to be taking place every sunday evening at 7:30 gmt live on twitter space if you wanted to get involved directly otherwise i'll be releasing them here every wednesday on the coaches network podcast so for today's format, slightly different and for around about 30 minutes, each discussion will be dedicated to a question that has been sent in where myself and Joah will be going into some real depth and sharing our views and opinions on the topic in order to leave you with some key takeaways to consider in your own environments. So the favour I'm asking for today, guys, is if you could let me know your thoughts on the new format and you can do this by getting in touch on Twitter at The Coaches Net. Once again, that is at The Coaches Net. And of course, if you have a question, feel free to send that in too. Hope you enjoy the new format.
1: The Coaches Network, bringing the game together.
0: Hey guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast. A podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent and personal development. My name's Coach Yas and I'm a UEFA licensed football coach, coach developer and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons and how you can make an impact. Enjoy.
2: How considered consider this my game model. Let's... Let's start as we usually do and look to unpack, you know, just your understanding, your version of what exactly a game model is. Because there's a lot of words that have been thrown about um, in recent years, a lot of terminology that's been brought to the forefront of it. And sometimes it's just regurgitating old stuff and just putting a new label on it. So go for it, man.
3: Yeah, there's a, definitely a little bit of that, isn't there? I mean, for me, I think. You will hear some people use the words, and I have in the past as well. Game style, playing style, or whatever, or model of play. When I look at game model, you know, the first thing I'm thinking about is we've got to define what is our statement of intent. Like that, having a model of the game and how we want to play is something that's important because it's going to empower the organization, the the club. Not You know, at every level, whether we're working in the pro game, whether we're working academy game, whether we're working at grassroots level. It's the identity, it's the clarity um, around how we want to, to, to play, what that looks like in certain moments of the game, and then obviously the principles that will underpin it. So to me, that's what it looks like when we talk about game model. Um, and of course, there's, there's pros and cons to this, and I know we'll unpack that you know, I was thinking about this going into today is that any organization that has a clear identity and a clear way of wanting to operate, the powerful thing about that can be that there's a, there's a purpose, you know, for, for everyone involved just to to help manage the, the, the fan experience, you know, when people are watching, because we always forget like, what is the purpose of the game? The game belongs to the players, The object of the game is to score more goals than the opposition, but we want to be entertaining, right? So I think anything where when people are going, whether you're at the grassroots level and it's mums and dads on the side or grandparents, or whether it's at the pro level and you're buying a ticket to go watch your favourite team play, you want to be entertained. You know, you want to be excited. You want to see those moments in the game where there's that identity and that style and that flair and that excitement and that creativity. So then, what does that look like in certain moments? And that's where I wanted to go with it, you know, initially, because, um, and I've seen it more work in the US because obviously it's quite corporate, um, where they're, they're, they're thinking about that at every level, even at grassroots levels. How can we tie how our teams are playing in connection with um, the the style of our, how we want our players to be identified as playing when we have the ball, when we don't have the ball. So, like, what are our non-negotiables? So, to me, as I'd be thinking, you know, if we look at moments, often people will define a game model by when we've got the ball, when we lose the ball, so attacking, defending, and then transitional moments in between, going from, you know, uh, defensive to offensive transition or offensive transition to defending. So, when we lose it, that, that transition between moments. You could also include restarting there, because that's the moment in the game as well, isn't it? You
2: know, we, we have to... Yeah, most definitely. Got, um, you know, I think it's, it's, it's a good insight into obviously the perception that you've got of what a game model is. I think the first kind of question that I immediately kind of go to is, are we in danger of, with a game model, it being very fixed and not really reflected, uh, reflective or uh, you know, adaptive towards what's happening in front? I think there's this... Uh, you know, you get, you get certain people to go down the idea of preparing a game model, outlining what it looks like, even, you know, in many ways, putting it, you know, documenting it in a way where it's it's quite fixed, it's quite rigid, and it's not that. Uh, there isn't some creativity and flexibility within it in terms of one of the, if you like, underlying principles of it, but fundamentally, they've got a way that is, yeah, it is fixed in many ways, and um, I think you... you you know, I find it difficult to see how you can have a game model that if there is fundamentally an element of creativity in there and flexibility within it, then is it a game model anymore? Or is it just a preferred way in which you want your teams to play? Um, Or is it, you know, if we look at, I can't even think of an example right now, but you've got some coaches who say, actually, I just want my team to play this way. That's it. Um, and regardless of what the opposition are doing, regardless of what the circumstances are of the game, this is how I want my team to play. Uh, you know, in many respects that's you know, my experience of what a lot of people kind of present, whether they whether they whether they attach it to the word game model or not, but very much it is fixed and it's no flexibility in it. So once it becomes flexibility, is it does it is it really a model or are you just in in any ways reverting back to the principles of the game and responding to that, if that makes sense.
3: Yeah, and that actually is where I was going to go. You've hit the nail on the head because I think even though we can define these moments, we've got to be so careful that it isn't fixed, but it can often can be, can't it? Where people are saying, like, this is how we want to play and then obviously that should influence how we train, how we prepare for games. But obviously things change in the game. You know, so I think a great question for everyone listening is what are the questions that we want to ask? What are the problems that we want them to be able to solve in relation to each of those moments? And then how that relates to the principles of play. Like The principles don't change, but what are those principles? You we're know, we clear on it. To me, any if we use this word game model, anything that we have, it's got to be adaptable because the minute that, if we say our game model is only to do, you know, this, this and this. And a lot of people talk about the like almost to a clinical way of we can only play this way, but there are many ways that you can create and score goals, you know. So what if the opposition change their shape? What if the opposition do something different and they're exploiting certain spaces in between your ideal way? Well, then what? You know, it's all well and good saying, oh, we're gonna win the ball high up the pitch, and this is our principle. And this, we're gonna high press, we're gonna play through, build up, and create these overloads in these areas and things like this. But then, what? What happens if the? Uh... So, I think the adaptable piece is huge, like you say. I think it's got to relate to the players that we're working with and also want to attract, and it's got to inform everybody, players, staff, everyone that we recruit to play for us how how we wanna understand the game. Like it's it's how well do we understand the game, but also their game. Cause I think sometimes the danger comes as where we'll get we'll see people watching Man City or whoever. And don't get me wrong, there's a fantastic some great lessons to learn about the game. But then we'll try and coach young players in that way, that premature professionalism or you know, we're trying to coach them like these lads who are at the the Premier League at the elite level, you know. And does that really relate to what they can do? Um, So, to me, I think we've got to be careful and we've got to have that real consideration of what does their game look like when we're we're sort of conceptualising these ideas. Because that's really what it is. It's an idea. But then we've got to think about how, how we train from, you know, session to group, individual, meso, macro, Cycles, like what it looks like each week, how we play, because how we play and how we perform are two different things. Like to me, how we play is each individual match, it's episodic. How we perform is the consistency, right? And what that looks like over time. And if you've got a model or a framework that's adaptable, that is based on principles that brings our game to life, I think that's when we can have some real real powerful thing so you know I'd love to throw a question even to you which is what would that statement look like you know if you were to create a, a statement of intent how could that be a, a founding idea that influences a model or our principles of play because to me I want our teams to be exciting like I'll tell you what I did at, at sporting when I came in obviously we've got to be aware of the first team and the alignment there but, to some degree but I just said I want our players to play exciting and effective possession-based approach, focusing on our collective ability to play in the future in order to create and and prevent goals, with a value being on uh being able to operate under changing circumstances. Like that was our statement. And there's certain key words in that, right? Effective possession. But then what does that look like? Well, it can be direct at times it can be through, it can be around, it can be with width, it can be with depth, it can be with all players occupying width, it can be, like if anyone watched the uh, Italy the other day, the uh, under-20s, they're playing really narrow, but they're, they're creating space in the final third by playing narrow. There's so many different ways that you can do it. So how can you get these players to think creatively? And if the opposition are asking different questions... Can we operate under those changing circumstances? So the principles of how we attack and exploit space, you know, are there? You know, I'd be interested to know what your thoughts are there. Yes,
2: yeah, no. There's a there's a lot in there. And I think you know, as you're speaking, I think the first thing that you know to really kind of give some insight. I'm a real fickler for detail. I'm um, I'm really focused on the clarity of, the, of what things mean and how they how they then translate and, and the message it sends across and I'm looking at even just the the, the language here game model I, personally I don't believe in the idea of a game model um I think if something is a model then it's a it's in, in many respects a fixed identity um it's very very rigid so I think you know I, I, I'm now I'm now thinking about this in my head, I'm curious to think. Well, actually, what what else could it be if it is fluid? And I'm thinking, is could it could it be a playing framework where you've got some key things that you want people to think about? And that's that's you know that's essentially let do perimeter. But anywhere within this perimeter, you, you can operate, and that's where the creativity piece comes in. So, in terms of that statement, I think for me, I'm never looking at it as I want players to play in a particular way, other than actually I want them to take take into consideration XYZ and if they can take into consideration X, Y, Z, and they've got their own uh, perception of what might be achievable and um, appropriate based on their perception in each given moment, then they can be more considered uh, decision makers within the game because they're they're aware of what the variables are that might impact on their performance. But subsequently, they're also, there is also some guidance around what the priorities and what the fundamentals are they need to kind of keep at the forefront of their mind in terms of a, what's the outcome you're going after? I think with a game model, I think it's more process driven rather than outcome focused. Um, whereas, you know, if, if I look at it as a playing framework, if you like, fundamentally you've got your outcome. It's an outcome focused thing. Where it's right, the po- the process is uh, is diverse and is adaptable on the basis of. That. I don't know what your thoughts are on that to start
3: with. I agree. I mean, that's what I'm I'm sort of saying myself is that I think we've we've the 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 detail of having that model, as you talk about, can be quite limiting in some cases because we're so prescriptive um, on certain moments of the game and how we want to play. But what happens next? And obviously, not every the game isn't that predictable. The game is. Forever changing, dynamic, chaotic, and so forth. Um, But you need something there. So I like the word framework. And I think anything that provides a clear identity and how we want to play, but also helps inspire curiosity, creativity, playing unorthodox, you know, playing with disguise, deception, because they're going to be premium qualities of a player that are needed now and in the future. Because as as teams are becoming more and more organised and organisations are key, you need players that can be able to play with deception and and be unpredictable. Um, So, you know, I I think you're, you're spot on there. You know, it's almost like flexibility within a framework, isn't it? And these guiding principles will influence that idea that... The role of the coach is to create that idea so that the players know what we're trying to achieve. But ultimately, they've got to be able to to perform it, and we've got to be adaptable. It's got to be adaptable based on the changing moments in a game. Got to be adaptable based on the players that we have and the opposition, and, and loads of other variables. Um, but I think you know this is a good opportunity as well. Yeah, as to I think you know what what do people think based on what we've said so far. You know what are some of the experiences? I know Stevie, you're listening. You're obviously doing this now as a head coach uh, abroad. You've had some different experiences in the pro game as well as grassroots, and some other people listening. You know, I'd love to see how does this relate to you guys. You know, especially when you use these terms, game models, and you know how considered is yours. You know, what does everyone think about what we're saying so far?
2: Yeah, sorry, just, just in there as well, just, you know, before we bring Stevie in, I think it's just a, it, it'll be great to get some insights from everyone else around where they're at in this in this in this conversation, in the sense that do they have a game model? Is there a game model that's been dictated for them by their clubs and obviously we've got so right. many coaches in the room at the moment but from so many different environments, maybe currently coaching, maybe previously coaching. Um It'd be really interesting to see where their thoughts are on this. And guys, if you you know if you want to get involved in a conversation but you're not comfortable to come on and speak, just feel free to leave a comment and we can unpack it through that through that means as well.
4: Yeah, I think what Gerard said about it being process-driven rather than outcome-driven is probably the right way to go about it because the The essential fact of a game model for me is to provide an outline of what your ideas and beliefs are how you implement that on a daily basis with how you talk to players how you communicate your ideas how you translate your ideas through the session design and then the implementation of those ideas through how you conduct the session the end result of what the training session or what the game might look like will come from the starting point of what you're thinking model is which is what your game model essentially is so how do you want to see the game being played so if anybody was to ask you you know what does a Gerrard Jones team look like does it look the same no matter where you go or are there things that are non-negotiables in terms of how you play whether it's direct whether it's wide whether it's lots of dribbles whether it's positional play I think when you look at current coaches like a Deserby for example you can look at Sassmolo, you can look at Benevento when he was there, also at Shakhtar and now Brighton. It looks the same. So you can tell that he's very clear in his ideas, how he implements it, the training sessions he'll use, the the methodology in terms of what they do in the analysis room, and then how they work as an individual. So the overall game model is there to help you rationalise your ideas and then set a process in place for then how you design training sessions and then how you analyse it and how you convey your ideas to to players and like one of the good experiences I've had over the past five, six years of working with different organisations clubs, coaches etc is that like nobody's game model is the same but a lot of people have the same ideas and core beliefs it's just about how you convey those ideas how you write it down how you think and analyse it and then how do you design sessions and work towards what you hope that your ideal outcome is going to be My, my, my question is
2: is it is it then really a game model or is it just a preferred way of playing, preferred playing style? Because you know, if fundamentally, we're, we're I think, I think it would be fair to say, maybe in some agreement that actually, it's very much dependent on where you're going, whether the players can even fit that way of playing. As an example, um, it then just becomes a preferred playing style rather than this is a game model. I think, you know, and it, you know, one of the questions you know I was hoping to unpack this evening, and I'll put it to Gerard as well, is that. If we're saying that it's going to be flexible and adaptable, well, is it really a game model at all? Do we even need to have one, or is it just at this stage? Is it more semantics around the language that's being used to describe what is
4: essentially a preferred playing style? Um, I suppose it's an interesting way of looking at it. I think like, if you were to make a, a curriculum for a training plan for a year, for example, you don't stick to it rigidly. You would have different things that are going to be variable over the course of the year. Obviously, like how you build up from the back. If you say you want to do a short build up and you want to try and create positional and numerical superiority behind the first line of pressure, okay, that's that's a good starting point. Well, do you do it as a a three-one build up, a three-two build up, a two-one build up, two-two, two-three, two, two-four, three-four, etc.? They're just numbers, but it, it's to set up the positional structure. To overload the press, or play through the press, or overload somewhere to be able to give you the superiority to advance. The same thing being like if we want to create maximum width in the attacking third, do you do it with five up front, which is two really high and wide wingers, two tens, a striker? Do you do it with your wing backs? Do you do it with one advanced wing back on one side, like my team, and one winger on the opposite side, and then one striker dropping off and one midfielder going high? Because if you take my team as an example, we're four four two out of possession but were 3-2-5 in position. But the three is the right back and he can jump into midfield and he can invert and he can... So he's basically our free player. So there's... You're, you're just putting semantics together saying, well, it's numbers in terms of system and shape, but the implementation of how you create positional numerical superiority is more fundamental. What do you want your defensive midfielder to do if he takes it from the fullback? What do you want your defensive midfielder to do if from takes it from the centre-back? So... Of course it's flexible because nothing in football is ever rigid and you you need to be able to i think I think a large part of having a, a really clear game model is about how to teach players how to problem solve because we can all coach the same way, but at the same time we can all be all coach against different systems, different styles, different tactics where we can't then influence the players from the side too much like we can give them all these things to do, but at the end of the day they have to problem solve. It's our job as coaches to have a game model which clarifies your ideas about how to problem-solve based on the situations that they find themselves in the game.
3: Yeah, I was going to add, I mean, I, I, it's interesting listening to you there, Stevie, because I'm using the same sort of language around idea and I do an identity, and I do think that's important because players need to have that clarity of knowing how to respond to certain game problems. Because you're absolutely <laughs> right. It's it's how we're going to train them to, to do this. So, if in... But it can't always be rigid, obviously, because not every situation is the same. But if there's certain ideas or certain... I mean, you talked about what the shape looks like. When we've got the ball, we're like this. When we lose the ball, we're like this. And there's certain rules that teams will put in to make sure that we're organised in in certain moments. Um, But that can change as well, based on what problems the opposition are are trying to create, right? Um, Which I think is another one. I think, to me, the the more I'm I'm thinking about this idea, what is a game model? It's really, perhaps, just a, you know, because you're wrestling with it as well. Perhaps it's just this clearly defined framework, which outlines the idea of the principles of the game, that can be applied across those moments of the game, whether that be restarts, set pieces, you know, kickoffs. It's the idea of how do we want to play? Because if you don't have something in place, how do the teams really know what they're doing? They've got to be able to be creative. There's got to be flexibility in that framework, but it's also got to guide our identity. And you're right. I mean, if we look at certain coaches, you can tell a Jurgen Klopp team from a, from, um, you know, a, a Guardiola team to a, even the guy who's done an amazing job at uh, Brighton recently. You can see those identities and what does that look like, you know? And is it the same in every club? Is it slightly different based on the personnel you have? Or are there certain guiding principles within that framework that don't change, like you said earlier? So I think perhaps that's where that definition needs to be. Um, you know, as we're talking about this, is it that clearly defined framework that ultimately outlines how our, how we see the principles of play? And then how does that shape, obviously, how you're training, but you've got to train, you know, how you're training that way, because that's another debate in itself, is we might have this sort of defined model or framework, whatever we want to call it, in terms of how we want to play. But is the way that we're training truly constructively aligned to that? Because we might be asking our players to do certain things, but the ways in which we're training, it doesn't align. I mean, you're saying there, Stevie, you know, when we lose the ball, we go into this shape. And then the question will be is how often are they training in those type of numbers scenarios based on those problems that you are expecting them to face in a game? And if they're not, then obviously why are we training that way? And I think that's where it becomes how considered is our game model based on what it is we're trying to recreate.
4: Yeah, I, I agree. Like with like, I've only been the, the head coach of this team for now twenty one sessions, and I think if you were to talk to the players from day one, they would say, "All right, what's the things that Stevie's really emphasised on? Positional superiority, but." Being as quick as possible to get from our goal to their goal. Finnish football is very tactical and rigid. So if you can disrupt and break lines, you can start to really unbalance teams and get at them. So I think before last Thursday, we were creating an expected goals of two and a half a game on average, which two and a half expected goals a game on an average over a season would have you probably top of the league we're not expected to be there, but our attacking output would allow us to get there. So if we work backwards and say, well, how are we creating chances? It's generally from breaking the lines as fast as possible. I think we're about 14 seconds from goal to shot on average when we do create this. We're creating 10 positional attack shots a game on average, which is a lot. But it's always because we've got the overload in the first line, and the players are trained in every single training session, whether it's like 4v4 plus 3, 5v5 plus 3, to go directional, to break the first line, break the second line, break the third line, get in the box. And that mentality is there in every single session, every single uh, practice, every single bit of information reinforces these ideas and beliefs. And once it starts to happen and you show the players it, then they believe more in the idea and they they recognise the situation better. But at the same time, you also have to teach them, well, what happens if the space to break a line isn't there? How do you separate a team vertically through forward passes or backwards passes? How do you separate a line horizontally through circulation and switches of play? How do you stretch them through forward passes and forward runs to then create spaces to play behind or through the lines? So you need to then start selecting, well, which training activity really, really um, puts in that idea. But at the same time, it can't just be in-possession stuff. So we we jump from one extreme possession just into a four four two block. So after we lose the ball immediate counter-press, if you're not near the ball, you sprint back into position. And then once we're in position, we set up a block and then we press from there. So every training session will be set up so that we can start from, say, a 4-1-4-1 defensive base. So we've got extra layers and then how do we jump from the midfield line or do we jump from the winger um, to make a, a front two effectively? Or if the winger jumps, does the fullback jump with him to make three-four-three, if you like? like? How do we do that? is there situations where we might go man to man because we've recognised that physically and athletically we're stronger than the opponent. So maybe in that week we might go 4 defensively. But as my job as a coach is to put the principles in place to say, right, we start from a compact base, we apply pressure on the ball and then we jump and we go man to man. That's where the complexity comes into it. And if you're a coach and you've got four sessions a week, then you've maybe got four key practices where you're really going to build on all your ideas. But within those four key practices, you've got to work on all phases of the game to make sure all the players understand exactly what it is, what you want to do. So if you're doing a possession game or a rondo game, how does that apply to your game model? How does that apply to your core beliefs? And how does that apply to the phases in between winning and losing the ball? Because that's where the disorganisation comes in and the difficulty of applying what your methodology is successfully.
2: I, I I totally I totally get where you're coming from, um, Steve, and I, I, I'm I'm just sitting here thinking about this conversation and the, and the the theme theme beyond it. Um, the further we get into the conversation, the third, the more I think about this idea of a game model. And Gerald's posted something quite interesting, um, on, on the bottom of this chat around what a game model actually is, uh, or someone's definition of a game model, and I. I I just think it, I just I just think it fundamentally I think it's the wrong use. Of the, it's probably the wrong language.
5: What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat. Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket. Outsourcing business tasks you hate. What about selling with Shopify?
2: Which to be used around what we're actually what are actually going after here. Um, I'm now thinking it, it, it fundamentally probably is just a framework, and therefore, if it is a framework, um, <laughs> the cynic in me is saying, "Well, who, who came up with the word game model? Who came up with that phrase?" Because if it is a model, then by by definition, it, it, it is it is going to be rigid. And I think as soon as you as soon as you 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 open it up to more, not more, not wanting it to be rigid anymore. Well, it's no longer a model. So I think, you know, it, it, within the game model itself, it's it, how much can you know, how much can you really consider? And you know, if we're going back to the topic of the conversation, and how considered is my game model? I don't think I don't. I think there's limitations how much you can consider within your game model, because fundamentally, it's based on you wanting your teams to play in a particular way. And yes, you want it to be flexible and adaptable. But at the moment, it does become flexible and adaptable. Or it's no longer your game model because. Well, it's re- it's reacting to the game. So, therefore, is your game model really based on principles, or is it based on situational uh, situational outcomes? Is it based on um, appropriate circumstances that align themselves to what you want? So, as an example of that, I mean, if if I'm now looking at this from a wider perspective, saying that you know, using Pep or using Klopp as an example, um, or even you know, whoever whoever you can think of, yeah, they'll have. I prefer playing style, but fundamentally, the, if it's outcome-focused rather than process-driven, they're going to look to do whatever's effective in that moment. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's just where my mind's taking the conversation, and it's just like I think I'm wrestling with the idea now: is, is game model even an appropriate terminology to be used? And yeah, I want to find the culprit that brought the word to brought the word to light. <laughs> Go, Gerard.
3: Yeah, to and it could be semantics as well, but I think obviously we've got to be. I'm trying to play devil's advocate, here or just thinking on the other side. We definitely need something, though, don't we? Because um, whether we like the word game model or not, we still <coughs> we there has to be a clear idea in how we want to play and how we want to play. Now it doesn't. You're saying like rigid, and we don't want that. We've talked about that, haven't we? And if we want these players to be able to adapt in changing circumstances, be operating whether. The opposition are typically playing in a diamond, 4, four two diamond, or if they're playing three, or if they're playing universal. And you can't tell what the shape is, because the shape is constantly changing, because they're playing off more, they're very, are principle-based. Yes, I mean, if I, if they, I just
2: they, go off that for a second, though, Joe, I think really, you know, let's just say you've got a preferred playing style, right? Well, the kids um, need to know what
3: they're doing, don't they? Like they, they,
2: they need to know what they're they, they doing, need, don't they are doing do not but is it they need to know what they're doing in terms of the process? Yeah, because if it's fund, if it's fundamentally about the process, <coughs> certain processes can only come into play because certain variables are are interacting with with them in that moment. Does that make sense? So yeah. I'm not expecting yeah. my team to play a part and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna ask you to play a pass to your teammate if there's someone clearly standing in front of him. Well no, actually fundamentally what we need to do is if we want to get the ball to their teammates, what well, how do we get that player in a position so that the ball can get to them. Now, if the opposition's not moving out of that way, well, if your game model's purely based on right, this is how we want to get it done. Well, anytime that that can't be done, well, your game your game models become redundant, hasn't it? And I think, yeah, again, it might just be semantics at this stage, but I, I really, you've got,
3: really, you go got to think about the brand, though, haven't you? You've got to like, I'm, I'm reflecting now, like being in Morocco. We knew what the Moroccan player was. We knew what what that was. How that was so different to how Ghana want to play, how Senegal want to play, how their teams will operate. That's got nothing to do with like we notably Ghana will normally play in a in a, a one four three three. They'll normally play with a point down. They'll have a number six that will typically lock onto a number ten. They'll be quick on the counter. We know other teams are set up in a, you know, like Senegal. Whenever we played against them, we'd always see them drop into a mid to low block. And it'd be, we're not going to press you. We're going to be so disruptive and, you know, make it difficult for you to play through as them. But then they'd play to other strengths. So for us, when we were talking, even in Morocco, what's that? And you look at the World Cup, like, what's our model? How do we want to play? We just talked about how how we want to play, we just defined it as that. But we had a, it was related to the players that we know our identity is as, a, as the country and how we want to entertain, how we want to connect to the fans and that message as well as the players' abilities. And I think that is important because you've got to have some sort of uh, conceptual idea because if you don't, you know, how can you develop these players to be unpredictable if that's something that you value? Be dangerous on set framework. pieces and so forth, or whatever
2: it may be. You know, no, I, I fully get you, but saying the fundamentally that's why it becomes a framework. And and and, like I said, I, maybe it's just me being a fickle for the the articulation of it, but it, it becomes a framework and not a model. If it is going to be right, here's our brand. This is our preferred. This is what we this is what we want our teams to do. But fundamentally, we can we can look at Pep Guardiola and say, right, well, he he wants his teams to do that. But guess what? if there's an opportunity for his goalkeeper to go to the back-to-front
4: and get his player through a goal, that's what he's going to do. Yeah, but no, nobody, nobody's saying a game model isn't a framework. Like a, a game model is basically a framework for thoughts and ideas and opinions. Right. So when, when you're starting off with your game model, you're basically talking about a framework. But nobody's saying to players, oh, well, here's our framework. A game model is a... A globally recognised phrase now because it was started with a tactical periodization. So when you're asking who's the guy that started, it, it's probably Buterfraid, and then Mourinho was the first guy that published anything in English with the word game model. So it starts from there. You could call it like your tactical opera- operationalization if you want, but realistically, all of these things are a framework to funnel your thoughts and ideas about how you want your players firstly to play in their preferred way, but secondly understand what a problem looks like and how to solve the problem. So if you're saying Pep says I want Ederson to build up from the back to attract the press yes but if there's a 3v2 on the last line he must be able to recognise that there are 8 players pressing and he can evade the press by playing up to the front front 3 against 2. Again that's just a we want to build from the back but this is how to solve the problem and take advantage of this thing which is space. So again it's like if you're saying we want to build out from the back, and if you want to take Man City because everybody watches them, why is John Stones jumping from centre back to on the first line to defensive midfield on the second line? Because they want to overload the first line of pressure three v two, in most cases, or five v three or five v four, which means that you can split the winger and striker on one side or the winger and striker on the other side which then draws the opponent narrow, which then gives you the freedom of the wingers, which is Marez on one side and maybe Phil Foden on the other. So again, the structure is we want to build up. What's the mechanism? And then the mechanism then helps you solve the problem. But it doesn't fundamentally change how you want to play. It's about how to make sure that players understand to then maximise communication. Like we had an example on Thursday, which we, sh- we spoke about with the players today. We had five different players playing on Thursday. The left-side centre-back takes two extra touches when he's stepping in. The left-side number 10 is probably three yards away from the position he should be in. And he should be in a position to receive. The striker drops off because he sees that he's standing still when the left-side number 10 can then run in behind. So then you end up with a miscommunication which leads to a turnover because as part of the game model, we have new players coming into the team who don't always... Connect at the same level because they don't train together in that way every day, and that's not their their fault. It's just you know if you only have one training day together, things are going to happen. So in that moment, the striker drops short to get the left centre back to play over the top. The left ten moves inside, thinking the pass is going to go through the lines. So that's just miscommunication. But everybody understands part of the model is can we break the line? If we can't break the line through the midfield line how do you create space to play over the top? Now, again, you can talk about saying that's your tactical framework. Of course it is. People talk about a game model in the same way that they talk about a framework for thoughts and ideas.
3: Well, these terms are interchangeable. I think that's the, there is certain football language, isn't there, that that is part of our culture or whatever. And then obviously it brings about a good point is what, what's the language that you want in your club? Because that's where, you know, because language brings the game to life. And I think all these terms are interchangeable. But, I mean, even by definition, to me, a model means that it's a representation of a system, isn't it? Um, But it's not to say that that system or that operating, overarching approach, principles of play, whatever, can't change because it can. Um, And I think this is where, you know, if we can... I guess going back to that question, Yaz, if we're able to really think about all the sort of problems or questions, even to your point, Stevie, that can occur within a game, how is it that we're looking to respond to those moments when we're trying to score, how we're trying to keep the ball or when we're trying to look to exploit a counter-attack? And then what are some of the, the principles or actions and behaviours that that underpin that? And that's where I'm starting to think with it now. Is if, we, if we're talking about this, this term that we're yucking at now, is what are the behaviours that it's influencing? How does this whole process influence player behaviour? And what are the behaviours that we want? You know, for our teams to be able to players individually to to perform. Hundred percent. Sorry, there's another coach who wants to jump in.
2: Good evening, Apps. How are you doing, man?
6: I'm all good. I'm all good. Listen, I've been I've been listening uh, intently. Um, Steve um, touched on some really, really good things there. How, um, listen, by the way, also, hello, Gerard. How's it going? Um, it's been a while, actually. I haven't spoken to you guys. Um, I just wanted to chip in. Just um, I think a lot of what we're talking about here is is, is about influence, influence of the players and trying to go from the variables in the game back to a familiar um, mechanism. Um, and uh, I think the things that are being said is all really semantics. It's all, it's all about language. Um, and I understand that language uh, paints pictures and um, how important the elements of communication are to try to get our points across. But ultimately, uh, and I don't want to upset anybody in here, um, but ultimately, um, football is, is, is actually a really, really simple game. Um, but I think sometimes we've got this tendency to overcomplicate things. And sometimes we overcomplicate things trying to be smart. Um, and I don't think we need to be too smart the things that we need to really try to nail home are the principles. The principles, I think, are, you know, are non-negotiables. And then it's how do, we get, uh, how, how, how do we go from where the opposition are to where we want to be? And how can we replicate that? And so when we start talking about game models and these kinds of things, this is how can we replicate success? So the things that work for us and the things that, that we want to try to do, well, first off, why do we want to try to do them? Well, we want to win. We want to entertain. We want to do this. We want to do that. OK, so how do we do that? And that's where process comes in. So it's a process. We're trying to replicate good things. We're trying to bring in replication. But then comes the variable. So how do we go from this scenario that we perhaps not very prepared for to go back to a familiar picture? And that's where the coaching comes into it on the training ground. Well, actually, uh, this team play like this. So we're going to try to uh, mimic going from what they want to do to back to what we want to do. Um, and this is, again, this is just me trying to say it in as simple a form as possible, because the more we we use uh, this broad language, we, we can't we, we just overcomplicate things. We don't need to overcomplicate it. Like, Football is a very, very simple game. This is influence. Influence over players, influence over decision-making. And sometimes it's even us making the decision for the player until they understand the importance of making that decision. After that, it's, it's, it's completely down to them. Um, and ultimately, I, I think, and I'm sure we're all aware, there's only so much influence any of us can have from the sideline. So we can drill these things, we can do phases of play, we can do exercises, we can do technical uh, stuff. All of that stuff can sometimes just be rendered completely useless because ultimately it's down to the decisions that the players make when they're on the pitch. And the most important attribute is decision making from any player, certainly when you get to the top level, because everyone's technically at a certain level. Everyone is athletically at a certain level. So the 1% and the, and the hairs that we split are, are all to do with this, uh, the decisions that they make. And that is where you get your Kevin De Bruyne's and your David Silver's and these guys. That's why they are who they are, because they make these decisions. And all of the supporting behaviours and, and athletic actions that support that. So, yeah, just we, we don't need to overcomplicate this conversation, just in the sense that, you know, it's just language. But as long as we understand, uh, you know, what our role is as managers and coaches, um, you know, it, it's just... Really, it's just down to, to, to influence. So, yeah, anyway, I've said far too much more than I wanted to say. So, yeah, uh, I'll, I'll go back silent. And, um, yeah, cheers. Thanks for giving me <laughs> my, my 30
3: seconds. No, you're top class. And I actually I agree. It's, this is what we want, you know, and it's a good point to, to add on, really, is that we can often over sort of almost like over uh, engineer all these things and overthink it. But actually, how can we create, How can we reduce the complexity to, to real simplicity, simple messages for the players? And then that way they can inspire that. So, you know, I agree. I mean, I look at a lot of the stuff that's probably come out from England hockey and some other sports, and they're, they're talking about principles and, and, and play models, whatever, game models, all this stuff. But to your point, they're just saying, how can we go forward? And how can we stop there, go forward? So how do we prevent them from being able to go forward with the ball? How can we go forward with the ball? And they're just really simplifying it. And that's at every level right through their national team. So, you know, that sort of brings me to the next thing, really, Yaz. I mean, just I think, you know, while we've had this interaction, it's been really good to see the level of engagement from everyone. The debates actually hot debates across the, the, the topic. This is what we want. Just a reminder, obviously, this is a, an FA accredited online Twitter space through uh, the Coaches Network, you learnbly in partnership with Middlesex FA. So, in order to be eligible for an hour of FA CPD, just remember, after this Twitter space, to we'll send an email out shortly after uh, with the self-reflection task. And all you have to do is just complete your key reflections of what you've took from the conversation and using a, a reflection tool of uh, square, triangle, circle. You know, basically what's What's stuck out to you what's made sense? what's still swirling around um and and what do you want to go away and, and have a think about even more type of thing and it just just a quick reflection self reflection task nothing over uh difficult send that in everyone's got up until June fifth to send in all their self reflection tasks um and then obviously you'll be able to'll we'll pass that information on and that will fulfil your commitment to be able to gain the the CPD points. Um, I've got a couple of questions, yes. As we, I know we're coming to time. I think the, one of the last ones, I've, I guess, could be, or maybe even if it's not a question for now, perhaps even a question for for later, just to go away and have a, a wrestle with is um, how how does this game model? How can it be adapted across different age groups? Yeah. I, I, because I think that's absolutely. what we've not spoke
2: about yet, have we? You know, no, not not quite. But I think one thing that's really uh, probably key to kind of touch on in the initial stages before that is maybe what we need to inc- what we need to consider in terms of actually how we develop one in the first place, and then that in itself might translate itself across. Well, how relevant are some of those things, or what does that look like in- across the age groups? Probably. Probably link it across in that in that manner. So I think, you know, probably a question for you though, you know, on on that is, you know, if you were starting to develop one today, or starting to put one together now, or if you've got some ideas around what that looks like for you, how in what way, in what order, and you know, what would you prioritize as a yeah as a, as a starting point if you like to try and start to develop that.
3: Well. What I've done in pretty much nearly every role I've gone in and done it recently with sporting, um, and obviously I was a part of this uh, in Morocco, so that was my charge with with Osh, and there was the three of us as elite coach educators, and we had to do this. Um, I mean, initially, I think a great starting point is is putting your ideas to paper. I think if if coaches haven't done that, you know, there's so much that we often think about, but actually spending the time to write it down, put it on a PowerPoint get your, you know, if you think it, ink it, is the expression, think it, ink it. Um, just getting it because you're able to then get your ideas and really make sense of what is it that you're looking for. And you'll end up going off in different directions. But I think, a, you know, a great point would be, what what's this statement? You know, if you were to ask yourself the question of how you want your teams to play, what would that look like? So when we started, we came up with this statement of intent, which was, um, something I mentioned to everyone before at the start of the call, we created certain words that we wanted to to be flexible, so that irrespective of whether the team's playing a four th- a one four three three or a three, whatever, it doesn't matter um, because we know you know the principles of the game is is, is where we want to develop these players. Um, we wanted them to operate in any changing shape or any circumstance so a starting point was well what would that look like and then obviously that gets you thinking about well what are the type of players and the profiles of the players and the key qualities of a player and then you know basically to be able to play in this sort of way you know because we we looked at it as can we be exciting and entertaining fast attacking soccer because the you know we value the fact that we want the game to be entertaining what does that look like You know, what are the things, well, some of the behaviours that we're looking for. So then we wrote down what behaviours would we want to see within this model. And one was being effective in possession. So that can be like being effective is if the keeper or whoever can find the number nine as quickly as possible. How quickly can we play forward? So we just stripped it back and went really simple. How quickly can we go forward with the ball? If we can't go there, where else can we go in order to build? Yes, we want to build from the back, and yes, we want to create these amazing constructions of attack, but actually equally as effective is a pass with purpose so um, or a run with purpose. So we sort of defined all that, Yaz, and then obviously from there we just wrote these ideas. You know, someone mentioned before, I can't remember who it was, they said like non-negotiables, so, we talked about that where our non negotiable is you've got to um, run to receive. So, you've always got to be able to be looking to get on the ball. How can we? And that, even that, like in the difficult moments he has when you're 1 0 down, 2 0 down, whatever, can you be getting on the ball? Can you run to retrieve? So, go get it back. So, run to receive, run to retrieve, and run to deceive. So, you might create space for yourself or your teammates. So, can your movement. Uh, drag a defender out of the way to create space for someone else? Or can you deceive in another way? Um, And that unorthodox quality. So those three types of runs were our non-negotiables. So there's a simple message there is that we want you to run. You're covering distance, but you're doing it with intensity, right? So you're running. If we lose the ball, you're working hard to get back. You know, you've got to um, have that desire, that light switch moment that, you know, can we go and affect the ball? And if we can't win it back immediately, where else can we go in order to set a trap? Um, I'm getting flashbacks now, pause the piège, uh, so set traps in French. So that's where we started. And then obviously it just grew from there. And then effectively what ended up happening was, and I think Stevie might have said this word actually earlier, behaviours. So we had behaviours, non-negotiables, which then influenced our statement that identity language, that purpose of our play, how we want to play. Um, and then from that, we were able to build our principles. And it looks very different because um, there's a couple of people on the call who have come from the Welsh FA, where uh, obviously been influenced by. So we had certain things that, you know, in that moment, if you like, of how we want to play, whether we want to switch play, you know, final third solutions, how we can create and exploit overloads, things like that. But then we actually started to splinter off and go, but what about inferiority? Because we always talk about creating overloads, but a lot of the time you're actually underloaded. And certainly in certain teams they're, they're dropping and they're making it so difficult to play, or you're dealing with 1v3 situations. So we need to train our players to deal with inferiority, not just overloads. Um, so then we th- that's how we created our model, if you like, if we want to use the word model or framework. And then from that, then we just laser focused in of if it's going forward, um, what does that look like? What are the different ways to go forward? How can we break lines, uh, which is in French, casser So then we'd look at whether it's through around over different types of play rounds, what we would do, and then that would obviously influence how we train, and then that brought it back full circle because now you're looking at behaviours again and non-negotiables and key qualities of a player. So it created a huge debate for us, which was, well, ultimately, we need these players to to perform in a certain way. They have to be thinkers. They have to be able to adapt to changing circumstances, which relates to our statement. They have to be able to – because it could be that you want, you know, you've got a man sent off or – We're just, they're set up in such that their game problem, you know, talking about the other opposition, if we're playing Stevie's team and Stevie is so disciplined when they've lost the ball, well, how are we finding ways to probe and find? So the language became so important. That's why I'm using certain phrases as an example. Casa break lines, probe and find, set traps, puzzle de piège. Um, you know, uh, Gilly, you know, is like moving the lines and things like that. So we would do certain things and we would have these certain buzzwords and that language brought our game to life. So for the players, it just, it was like inspiring our curiosity. And then that's how we trained. So that's, that's how I would do it. And then we actually then went, okay, I know there's a lot there that I've explained. Then we went, all right, what does that look like at our different national teams? So, if it's under-20s, under-17s, how can there be a common thread throughout, but at the same time, we're reflective of what their game looks like and where they are in that journey, you know? And obviously, in Morocco, it's very different in terms of the game formats of how they play compared to in England. or I mean, as you'll know, it's even different in Wales with, with some teams playing certain formats to others. So, it's how do you create that? Knowing what the journey of the player is when they're coming to you, um, and then setting expectations. So for some teams, it was purely around just how we break lines, how we play forward, and that was enough detail. And then for others, we could go into more because they've had other experiences. Um, so, I mean, that could be a good starting point. Don't you thought so that? or, you know, Yaz, or even anyone listening, feel free to ask away or comment any questions. Yeah. Uh, not, not not, so much a question, just a couple of observations from what you said. I think the um, first and foremost is
2: having clear pictures of what you want to see from your teams. Um, having an understanding and a consideration that those pictures might be impacted by the format that the game is being played in. So fundamentally the age groups that you're kind of working with. How many of those pictures are consistent? And I think the easiest example to give so uh, of that is if you're a team that likes to play in the wide areas and you know in an eleven v eleven format, you want your team to get loads of crosses. In what well, actually does that really happen? If if they were you know maybe an under ten side playing seven v seven or you know th- th- does that does that element, does that technical component really exist enough within that format of the game for it to be considered as part of you know? Your, your game model, in this case, at that stage of the game? Or is there something else which leads itself into that, which then, you know, that that's the key part, if that makes sense. It's in maybe how you get the ball in the wide area in the first place. And it might be actually at a younger age, the focus is on how you combine in the wide areas to maybe take advantage of that, as opposed to how you actually just create the opportunity from the wide area, if, if, if that makes sense. So I think probably just a couple of key observations around what you've said rather than any questions. And I think, no, but I think it's just, you know, just worth highlighting. You know, it's been really, really insightful conversation. You know, great, great discussion, obviously with yourself, Steve, obviously Apple, you know, is, is no longer with us now, but um, it's great to see just, you know, the interaction, some of the thoughts that have come off the back of it. And, you know, as, as you said, I don't you know, it is a FA accredited CPD opportunity for anyone that wants to kind of um, uptake on that. You, know, you just drop us a message if you haven't already signed up to the initial um, initial link for it. We can obviously share the post session task with you again as Gerard said. It's a very very brief reflection task, so feel free to get in touch regarding that. And if you again, if you've got any questions or any th- topics that you want to hear us discuss in the future, then please do let us know. Um, we've used a month for me to try out this approach around you know. An online Twitter Spaces CPD kind of format. Uh, we've been given the green light to try you know, to extend that period into June. So keep an eye on our page. Um, there will be a link coming up in the next, hopefully, forty-eight hours, where you can register and join up on that. In terms of the next four topics that we're going to announce for June. Um, so yeah, that's that's pretty much it from me, John. I don't know if you've got any other any other points or anything you want to add on to the end of that. You there Gerard? I think Gerard's connection is dropping in and out again there guys but um, no just, just to look to wrap up then you know massive thank you for everyone that's been involved whether you've just been listening whether you've joined in the conversation um, and brought yourself up to speak or whether you just left a comment on the chat um, all, all your interactions are appreciated all your involvement is appreciated so please do get in touch if you want um, any further insights on the conversations that we've had if you've got any topics like I said in the future please do let us know any questions around just coaching related matters but fundamentally guys you know join us be involved we're going to be here next week and hopefully we can continue growing this coaching community
0: well there you have it guys another episode of the Coaches Network podcast where our aim is to bring the world of athlete talent and personal development together to just one platform and you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favourite episodes with everyone that you can think of you can tag us in those mentions as well on Instagram at the Coaches Network or on Twitter at the Coaches Network we look forward to hearing from you. Let us know what you thought about today's episode. And until next time, guys, take
1: care. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for two forty-nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today.